Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Curve, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Curve. Hello there, it's six o'clock. I'm Michelle Dubry, and this is Jubes and Co., the show where we'll get into some of the things that have got you talking today. And they say, don't they, that time flies? And goodness me, are they right? Because get this, today marks six years to the day that this country voted to leave the European Union. It feels like yesterday. There you go. Uh, can you tell I've got at least one Brexiteer keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight? That's young Martin Daubney. Shut up, you. Before I introduce you, you're spoiling it. I like to I like to unveil my panel uh, as a big... I like to make a big occasion of it, Martin, but he's ruined it. Martin Daubney's keeping me company until 7 o'clock. Anyway, point is, Brexit, was it worth it? Uh, good idea, bad idea. And by the way, can we even judge that yet, given that we've had a global pandemic and a war in the meantime? Uh, You tell me your thoughts on that. And there's been lots of focus on the potential new British Bill of Rights. Talking about that, replacing the Human Rights Act. Is it a good idea or not? And let me ask you this. Should human rights be conditional upon good behaviour? What I mean by that is, say for example, you're someone who completely disrespects human rights to the point where you'll murder somebody else. Should you then still be able to kind of demand access to yours when you're in, for example, prison and the like? And more and more young people are sending explicit pictures of themselves to other people and demanding them from others. Flooring the plan, though, it's a criminal offence. So how do we stop this? Should a teenage mistake really go on to ruin your life? for that Polly Uh, what an awful story that was there wasn't it that organ harvesting one you know it's quite easy to knock the police sometimes isn't it many people do it often but when you hear stories like that thank goodness uh, they've done a good job in that instance that poor 15 year old boy thank god he's safe right keeping me company until seven o'clock tonight one of them has already spoiled my surprise haven't they uh, the other ones, Baroness Claire Fox, Director of the Academy of Ideas, Martin Daubney, who is the Deputy Leader of the Reclaim Party, who you heard celebrating, <laughs> so he was, on my right-hand side, Brexit. Uh, that's Claire Fox. I think, what have you just done? I've just thrown me microphone. Look at them, ladies and gentlemen. They come in here, Falling they apart. throw everything around. What can I say? Sitting nicely and professionally at the end there. Thank goodness there's one. Uh, the founder and CEO of PLMR, Kevin Craig. Good evening to you three. Hi, Michelle. You are all very welcome indeed. And you know the drill on Jubes and Co by now, don't you? It's not just about us and our thoughts. It's about you at home as well. What's on your mind tonight? You can get in touch with me, gbviews at gbnews.uk. You can tweet me at gbnews or at Michelle Jubes. Uh, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. You can download our app. Uh, we're right across social media and you can listen to us on DAB Plus Radio as well. So wherever you are, you are very welcome tonight. Uh, can you believe, by the way, six years since the referendum? Uh, we were promised, wasn't we, an extra 350 million quid a week for the bus, uh, free trade, blue passports, you name it. Many people getting in touch already to say that they cannot believe it has been six years. 
Uh, lots of you saying, thank goodness for GB News and how you wish we were a thing uh, during those days. Because let's be honest, yeah. it was not very pleasant, uh, if, well, for a Brexiteer at least anyway. Right. Uh, shall we remind ourselves, by the way, of the Brexit results? Let's have a look. In minutes to five, we can now say the decision taken in 1975 by this country to join the common market has been reversed by this referendum uh, to leave the EU. The British people have... Mm-hmm. There you go, Martin Daubney. I'll pick up with you on this one first. Uh, six years, where are we at? Well, I'd like to start off, if I can, by, by sort of saying what a joyous occasion this, this is. And I want to thank everybody out there who voted for Brexit, the 17.4 million who, who, who performed a roar that couldn't be ignored. They tried to ignore it. The media did. The political class tried to stop it. Um, David Dimbleby there acted like it was a funeral. Very indicative of the media response. <coughs> completely out of touch. And thank you to those who voted for myself as a Brexit party MEP to go to Brussels and Strasbourg and try and get the job done. Now, did we get the job done? Um, I think from the beginning of the withdrawal agreement publication in October 2019, there were clear fault lines. Fishing, Northern Ireland, the level playing field of taxation and rule of law. And all of those things are haunting us to this day. This new report um, talks in particular about a 30% decline in the fishing industry, which is completely abandoned, I think, by Boris Johnson's um, so-called oven-ready deal, which is actually a complete turkey. It betrayed the British fishing industry. There should have been a resurgence. We should have had true sovereign control of British waters. That never happened because, really, we were sold out. We have to remember that there has been this slight thing called a two-year lockdown that's basically destroyed most of the economies in the Western world, if not the wider world itself. And we will always find that anything that's bad is because of Brexit and anything good is despite Brexit. There will always be that top spin. Are we seeing the, the, the sunlit uplands we were promised? No. But where is? Where in the world is the same across Europe? I think we should hold fast and I think we should have gone further in the first place. Um, and I think we, we still have the faults around Northern Ireland. And I, I would like to see um, a... a a proper Brexit. All along, I think we've got a Brexit in name only. And I think that is why we're not seeing the true opportunity realised that we wanted all along. So you still back it, but you think just give it more time? Yeah, I mean, I think we need that all across the West, don't we? I mean, we're all going through hard times. It's not going to get any better either. But we can't blame things like um, soaring prices on Brexit. Otherwise, it's happening across Europe and, and America and the Western What's world this? too. So like I'm saying, we, we haven't really, I don't think, had time to see the benefits of Brexit because we had this, this terrible thing called the COVID pandemic. Kevin Craig's itching to get in. But before, you're going to have to hold your itch for a moment longer because, Claire Fox, I'm going to bring you in next. Where do you stand on it all? Oh, well, I mean, I, watching the result come through, you know, kind of gave me a gulp, actually, because yeah. I was there... Gave him a gulp as well. But no, but, I, but I, I remember it so well. I mean, I couldn't believe it, but of course I was delighted. But the reason why, I mean, it feels a lot longer than six years. And the reason was because this date hasn't made the same impact on my mind as it should have done. Because actually the day after it became very clear that it wasn't going to happen. Well, not the day after, but, you know, I just thought, well, we voted to leave the European Union. Something will happen. But it took years before we actually got to a point where, and I, but you'll know, by 2019, when some of us from all sorts of different political backgrounds, that's where I kind of got to know Martin, yeah. stood for the Brexit Party. The only reason we did that was because actually I just thought, oh, my God, we're not going to leave the European Union. So in a way, it's just such a relief that we actually formally left. But 
it's true that the deal that we had was not great. Anyway, I, 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 however, would like to, you know, sort of celebrate a little bit this bit. Brexit was never an end point for me. It was a process. And the process was to remove a, an anti-democratic body that told British citizens that they couldn't do anything about a whole range of laws that were being imposed on them. It was, in that sense, um, just stopped you ever feeling as though you had control over your politics. So, I, 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 I mean, Martin mentioned the sunlit uplands. I mean, I never thought there were going to be any. Yeah. Certainly didn't believe what was on the side of a bus and I did, couldn't care what colour my passport is. Mm-hmm. But I do care that, they, that what has started to happen is that, that we have started to pull away the excuse that British politicians had. Because I know that British politicians, Tories, Labour, Lib Dems, they've come rather smugly and say, oh, well, it's not our fault, you see, it's happening over in the EU. Even though they probably went to the EU and suggested it in the first place. I mean, it was always that kind of a ruse. It was a way of protecting decision-making from democratic accountability. And that bit has started, but God knows we've got a lot further to go. And I sit in the House of Lords, which is unelected. I mean, that's an undemocratic chamber that should be got rid of, right? That's obviously part of the deal. There's loads of other problems, but this was at least the start just one tiny other bit. I want to give a shout out to the RMT. The RMT was a union that I actually had a lot to do with in the build-up to the uh, uh, to the referendum because they were the one trade union that urged their voters to vote leave. And they always said it was about taking back control and having control that they would sort of decide when they went on strike or they weren't going to have anything. And those guys who uh, went on strike yesterday stood and were vilified by people who call them fascists and all the rest of it. But in the spirit of Bob Crow and in the spirit of the people who lead the union now, despite the fact people said they were all right and they'd sold out, they, like myself, in the spirit of Tony Benn, voted for democracy and good on them. Well, um, I'm going to bring in Kevin Craig, but before I just do so, can I just say what a wonderful feeling it is, ladies and gentlemen, to have a panel that is a majority Brexit. Because let me tell you something, right, as a Brexit-supporting individual, you guys will probably back me up. Yeah. For years, you would go onto the media as a Brexiteer and you would pretty much, without doubt, be the only Brexiteer that was on that panel. You were only really there to kind of tick a box so they could say, yeah, we've indulged that Brexit kind of uh, thought process over there. So personally, I think it's uh, an amazing development that we've got a channel now um, where different thoughts are allowed and yeah. actually, often, the Brexit perspective is the majority one. Yeah, here to that. Not, well, that's... not withstanding that. Go on then, Kevin. Well, Tell me how bad, I, I mean, how bad I, idea I, it was. I feel like I've, uh, the whole day on the channel, which I like a lot, uh, has, has been a, a, a party that I, I really shouldn't be at. And, um, <laughs> you know... Uh, it's not a great. It's not a great day for anybody who believes that it was a shame that we left the European Union. Um, I don't disrespect my fellow citizens who voted to leave. You know, um, I think the, and I, I personally, you won't agree with this, Claire, but I lay a lot of the blame for what happened at the door of uh, Jeremy Corbyn for failing to make the case for why membership of the European Union is in the interest of the working class, where in fact all four of this panel uh, started their lives, but. You know, um, Brexit, is it, is it a good day? Is it working? Well, the airports are harder to get in and out of. Um, staff are harder to hire. Bills are not cheaper. The NHS doesn't feel better. 
Um, I don't wish, I don't want it to fail to spite people who voted to leave. My test is, is life visibly better in this country as a result yet of leaving the EU. But do you concede, though, that that the impacts of Brexit, whether positive or negative, they've not really had a true opportunity to show themselves because, as we just mentioned, we've had a global pandemic, we've got a war, you've now got global inflation, all of these kind of things. They're not business as usual, are they? No, they're not, you know, and I think anyone who, who, who wouldn't agree with you, that's not reasonable. But, you know, it's many measurements have not been helped by Brexit. You know, as a business person who, you know, will employ 100 staff soon, uh, business is not better under Brexit so far. Put into one side the pandemic well, and the depends, war. But you see, you want it to work. You see, you, you, because you, with all due respect as our host, because you are a passionate Brexiteer, you, you want it to work. You're not neutral in the process, right? We're all Brexiteers now because this country has left the European Union, so we should all have a collective desire for this project oh, to yeah. prosper. Oh, yeah, but hang on, hang on. Are you are you asking us all to, to keep quiet if we can't see any visible signs oh, of, of it with no, benefits? No, okay. no, no, no. I right. don't want you to be a mute on this panel, absolutely not. But okay. what I'm saying is we are now all, by definition, Brexiteers. The country is a... Uh, I was going to say Brexiteer country, but we've left the European Union. Yeah. So no, of course you shouldn't say something right. about things that haven't worked, but yeah. you should uh, have the objective for it to work because why would you want the country to fail? That's, that's true. But I mean, is, do I now have to stop reminding everybody that Nigel Farage said if the vote was this close the other way, he wanted a second round? Or is that, I mean, you know, I, that, that was, that he did say that, you right? remind us of that. Yeah, you know, that's, that's what happened. And we are, we are a divided country on the issue, but I, I don't, I'm, I'm not addicted to the project of European Union membership, right? And I, I respect the result of the, of the ballot, but I'm just saying, so far, for possibly good reasons that you've identified, Michelle, day-to-day life, I don't see any benefits and I see a lot of things that feel more difficult. We won't know, will we, for many years to come. I think that I think we'd all yeah, agree on that. Well, actually, I mean, I think that is fair. And, and I just spoke at um, the, the conference organised by the UK and a change in Europe, which is an academic organisation. I think we can say, say it's remain leaning and I'm often in your position in their conferences which is I'm one of the few right and then and they're a bit like and I've spoke but to their credit and to Anna Menon and the team's credit they've always invited a couple of leavers to come even though you're kind of made to feel a bit odd when you're there right but what was interesting about this conference today is that there was a concession that although you could say well it's not working Actually, overall, people did start to say we don't yet know, certainly in economic terms, what is actually going to happen. But I wanted to also stress, and I've said this right from the beginning, I don't think that Brexit was about economic gains in that way. And and people will always say to you on social media, you'll recognise this, you know, tell me one good thing. And, And what you're trying to say is say that people wanted to remove a level, they wanted to take back control in terms of, democratic accountability now as it happens that is an incomplete project but certainly a a massive chunk of decision making that was made outside of democratic uh, sovereignty has come back it doesn't mean that the governments are grabbing it but at least we can get rid of them we could not get rid of the european commission and that was always my argument so i think that when people say how has it improved your everyday life 
For me, it was the removal of something that got in the way of our capacity to change things for the better. The, the only other thing to say is that I do think it's problematic that people still see themselves as leave and remain. And I think that wouldn't have happened if yeah. in 2016, most of the people in my family, a lot of people I know voted remain. And they accepted it, right? They were fed up and they were furious and there was tears, but they kind of knew they'd lost. But then what happened was is that just when they thought it was all over and they were getting used to it, it was almost like ramped up. We don't have to accept this. And I think that created a kind of culture war, in a way, where people started to get stuck in their ruts, didn't they? So now you're either a Brexiteer, and we shouldn't be like that, because now we should all be saying, yeah. not that you shouldn't criticise, say, well, I thought it was a mistake, but in order for us to get the most out of it, we would, I would prefer that we were able to do that without kind of giving ourselves a label. Yeah, yeah. And that's all sides, by the way, yeah. and I agree. But you say people do it without giving yourself a label. See, I mean, I, I think this all kind of gave rise to people using things like Twitter, so I apologise if you're not um, a Twitter user, but all of this kind of hashtag, what was it, F, FBPE, like all of this kind of yeah. real visual identification, oh, no. like look at me with my EU flag, no, look at me with my union flag, like look at me with my follow-back pro-EU, yeah, yeah. whatever it was. And I think it became... Such a because it was such an emotive issue. Yeah. See, if I was in charge of the country, what I would have done is because it was such a big change for the country, I would have set a threshold. So I would have said, you've got this referendum, but in order for it to be uh, enacted, you've got to have like a minimum, say, 60%. The vote has got to be a minimum of 60%. I would have set some kind of well threshold said. like that. Yeah. To remove all of that, oh, well, it was only 2% or whatever What a it great was. point, but the, but the point was they didn't. That sounds so surprised. No. Yeah. You always do. But, uh, but, you no, always but, do. No, but I think Michelle that's, is right. No, yeah. but I, no, I'm not arguing against that because yeah. I, I, I'm actually, I didn't actually go out and campaign for a referendum. It's just that a referendum was offered and I then thought, oh, there's a referendum yeah. and you went out and argued for it. Yeah. And the threshold, and we all know what really happened, was is that because I was hanging out in the think tanks where they all sat around Cocky, and they? talked yeah. about what would happen once we defeated the Leavers. Agreed. And people would sit around and say things like, does anyone know anyone who's voting Leave? And when I'd say I'm voting Leave, they'd laugh because they thought this was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, no. They thought I was joking. Listen, so they, they, they got their just desserts, Claire. There was an arrogance no, in favour. But that's all I'm yeah. saying is, so I think I that really. even if you could have said the 60%, sorry. Hey, well, it wasn't the point. One thing, sorry, I remember, Martin, sorry. one thing I remember sorry. really, really well from Strasbourg and Brussels is once Claire Fox gets going, <laughs> my God, you can't stop it. Um, look, what I would sorry. say about your, your important point about this, this division, this, this tribalism that, that Brexit created, and, and by the same token, um, Donald Trump in America... There's this social media fuel division, the same fault lines we saw roll through lockdown and that they will roll through probably everything now. And, it, and it's just desperate shame um, that any time you're on a show like this or any time you tweet about Brexit, there's a huge destructive pile on. And, and I wonder where that's getting us. Because, yeah. you know, it's not a case of suck it up, you lost. Because I, I, I'm not like that. It's like, you know, I do believe, I agree with Claire, I would have accepted the result and moved on if, if we'd lost. I've won elections. I've been hammered in elections. I'm okay with getting hammered. I'm okay with defeat. Yeah. Why can't we be, be more magnanimous in defeat and try and make a fist of it? I, I admire your attitude. I know a lot of people seem to want Brexit to fail to spite the other side, and it's refreshing for you to say that's not the case with you. That's, that's not in our country. You know, I think one of the great things about about Britain is you, you know, and it, it, it 
is woven throughout our history is a respect for diversity of opinion. And uh, I do like what shall forever be known as the Jubilee principle. Had we had that and a, a 60 or 65% threshold, I think that would have been you know, great in terms of the referendum. But um, we are where we are. And, um, yeah, but hang on, let know. me just make, because I want to make the point clear. I think it was such a big constitutional change that in order to have removed this tittle-tattle, although it was only 2% or whatever it was, then you know, we need to do it all again. I would have made it very clear. So I do think we should have had a referendum. I disagree with you on that, Claire. I think we should have had a referendum, but I would have set a margin and said, right, because it's such a large change, it's got to be this. And then people would have just campaigned. There might have been a higher turnout. So I'm not saying that would have changed the result. So please don't think, oh, yeah, if you'd have had that, you'd have got Remain. No. That's not what I think. What I think was you would have removed the margins for dispute. So that would have put all that to bed straight away. It would have sped up the process because you couldn't be messing around talking about second referendums and all the rest of it. That has gone to bed. And it would have probably made people be less complacent because they would have been like, either way, we're going to have to get a 60% threshold or whatever. So you might have increased turnout and engagement. Who knows? I don't know. It's a great it, was idea. A ma- it was a massive turnout it was. against the odds. And I think that what we saw there was a trend that we've seen uh, in, in America. I think it's a real problem uh, with the Donald Trump attitude, which was that, that we basically people withdrew losers' consent. And in a democracy, that's very dangerous. Now, what I think was really tragic in the Brexit case was is that huge swathes of the establishment withdrew it. You yeah. know, that, that's what happened was they yeah. basically were so furious that they'd lost. And so if you talk to people who were vote, leave voters who worked for the civil service, who were a minority, they'll tell you they were just basically, there was just, they just downed tools. They just thought it's never going to happen. So they did nothing in 2016 to make it happen. Well, I'm going to down really problematic. as well and have a break for a couple of minutes. When we come back, I'm going to be reading out some of your thoughts on that topic, Brexit. Was it the right thing, the wrong thing? Has it even had a chance? I also want to talk to you about the British Bill of Human Rights. Apparently, it promises to put public safety first. Will it mean getting tougher on criminals? I'll see you in a couple of minutes. <laughs> Coming up on The Mark Stein Show, back to provide her take on the fallacious fact-checkers, is broadcaster and campaigner Leilani Dowding. A smashing of liberty, an end to the right of protest, and police harassing the innocent. We join Andrew Lawton for a deep dive on the Canadian trucker convoy as his new book launches. Plus, Anne McCall Hinney joins from LA as her new true crime podcast begins on the gruesome serial killer, Dr. Kermit Gosnell. All that and more on The Mark Stein Show, tonight from 8 o'clock. Hello there, welcome back to Jubes & Co. with me, Michelle Jubrey. Quick reminder as to who's keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight. Baroness Claire Fox, Director of the Academy of Ideas, Deputy Leader of the Reclaim Party, Martin Daubney, and Founder and CEO of PLMR. That's a lot of uh, letters there. Kevin Craig, good evening to you three. I found out a very interesting fact uh, accidentally in the break. Claire Fox, do you know how many sugars she has? Can I say how many sugars you have in your drink? Guess how many sugars she has in her uh, coffee, everyone? Four. Four. (laughs) Goodness. If I was your mum, I'd be lecturing you about looking after your teeth. Four sugars. Four sugars, Fox. That ship has sailed if you look at my teeth. I think we can. Right. Well, you guys have been getting in touch in your droves about that last topic. Um, I've got to say, you're having none of me. Uh, My little idea about the 60%. You're all saying that I'm talking absolute nonsense uh, on that one. 
Alan says it's completely anti-democratic, Michelle. Sue says, what are you talking about? We didn't need to increase the turnout. People were massively engaged as it was. Well, I thought it was a good idea, quite frankly. It would have removed all the toing and froing that delayed the whole process for a very long time. Uh, Richard says, I voted leave for the sake of my grandkids. And let's face it, that's how long the whole thing might take. Mark says, we're six years in and it's still not done. It's a complete sham. And the only thing that has been done is the British people. Um, What else? Nigel says, leave or remain. They had to honour the democratic vote. Joe says Brexit was and is and always will be. Puts that in capital letters. uh, Completely the right decision. Um, Bob says, uh, I voted to remain. However, I believe in democracy. And had some form of second referendum have happened, I would have voted leave simply on that principle. I hear you. It's a very good sentiment that you have there. All right, let's move on, shall we? Um, You know, human rights, where do you stand on this? It's been talked about over the last few days, hasn't it? Uh, This is all about the concept of basically where does the book stop when it comes to uh, human rights? Is it here in this country and our laws and our principles? Or is it things like we've just heard uh, the whole Rwanda flight was grounded, wasn't it, because of the European Court of Human Rights? Uh, This has all come to the fore now because the new British Bill of Human Rights promises to put public safety first and has the power to overturn decisions, or it potentially may have anywhere, that be made by parole boards. It will give the UK Supreme Court the final say. Let's listen to what uh, Deputy Prime Minister Dominic Raab had to say about it. Mr Speaker, our Bill of Rights will strengthen our proud tradition of freedom. It will demarcate a clearer separation of powers. It will ensure greater respect for our democratic institutions and it will better protect the public and restore a healthy dose of common sense to the justice system, which is essential for commanding public confidence. Ultimately, it will make us freer, it will help keep our streets safer and I commend this statement to the House. There you go, Claire Fox, I'm going to pick up with you. Uh, where do you stand on this? There's a lot of talk, by the way, and I, I say a lot of talk because this conversation has been going on for years, hasn't it? About, you know, I think it was David Cameron that initially started talking about uh, getting getting rid of this uh, Human Rights Act. And here we are, 2022, and it's not happened yet. So first and foremost, do you think it's going to happen? Do you think it should in the first place? So I, I actually think that the Bill of Rights is not a bad idea. And I think that the Human Rights Act definitely needed and needs updating Sometimes when you hear the discussion on this, you'd think that the only reason we have rights is because Tony Blair brought in the Human Rights Act, which is a nonsense because actually those rights were fought for for decades, centuries, in fact, by ordinary people. The law then can um, protect them, but they're not dependent on them. But what's happened is people these days, it's almost like you don't have to be involved in a collective fight to get your rights. What you do is you go to the law courts. And so one of the difficulties has been that it's devalued in a way what the political rights are and it's turned them into just legalistic rights. So this Bill of Rights, which is not perfect at all, at least says um, that we've got to rein in judicial activism. And the phrase means that the judge, that, that the lawyers, as it were, can overturn democratic decision making. That's effectively what what it means. And that people kind of will go to the law courts all the time and that that can clog up what the democratic uh, decision of a government would be. And that's where the safety thing comes in, I suppose, that there are times when, um, I mean, I, I don't think that's the main point of this, but there are times when it feels as though the, the government might make a decision to deport a criminal. This is the classic one that's used. 
I mean, I don't, I'm not into all these type of things, but anyway. And then the courts will come along and stop that happening, right? So that's that bit. It's a very common case, actually, a, a yeah. case that's being discussed widely. I tweeted about it earlier on yeah. about some um, guy that was in one of these grooming gangs. I think yeah. it was in yeah, Rochdale or exactly. whatever it was. He's sitting there, gang raping uh, or orchestrating the gang yeah. rape of children. He's impregnated a 13 year old. He's done yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And then you can't deport him because, get this, he turns around and says, My children have the right to a role model. Yeah. Me. I think, yeah, they do. And if you want to be a role model to your kids, get as far away from them as you possibly I, can. And I, and I agree with you, but it's just that I, I'm just trying to avoid the fact that sometimes people blame human rights for everything. All I'm saying is it's not always like that. But there's a point there. I, I wanted to just also commend this bill because it actually says that free speech is a core value. Mm-hmm. And it actually says it's the core value. I mean, if you, listen, if you actually read the bill, which I've done... That's one of its big issues. Now, as it happens, the government are going to completely undermine that by bringing in the online safety bill, which is yeah. completely censorious. So it's a bit mad, which just proves that, you know, you can't just say that all rights will be encompassed in a bill because they won't be. The Human Rights Act was around during lockdown when civil liberties were suspended. The Human Rights Act has been in existence. And everybody says, what will happen to free speech? You get rid of the Human Rights Act. Well, under the Human Rights Act... Free speech has been eroded, eroded, eroded. So I, I, I want us to be calmer and not hysterical. Even people that, I'm going to say even, there's lots of people I know who are reacting as though this is the Tories' power grab. There's loads of things that are Tories' power grabs. I don't think this is one of them. I Martin. think this is a Brexit game, by the way. Brexit Bring, game? Bringing yeah. laws home domestically. Yeah. One, one of the key um, discussions around the Brexit referendum was sovereign rule of law. Now, of course, um, we didn't vote to leave the Council of Europe uh, and the ECHR. That wasn't on the agenda. Perhaps it should have been, or perhaps it could be in the future. I mean, I like democracy. I like referendums. So, so why not have a referendum on that, spelling out the clear advantages? Um, but we, we must, I think, ask a question, which is very unpopular, and it tends to get the barristers and the QCs very, very triggered and angry, and that is, do we have a neutral judiciary? And I think we saw during Brexit, the answer is palpably no, particularly when we saw the, 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 uh, all the, the efforts to, on, no, to, to block Brexit from, from happening. I think that was a real thing. Now, this makes us feel very uncomfortable. But it's a conversation that we must have because we, we have to look at these cases. The, the Rochdale case is a particularly you know, horrendous one, but they keep happening. The inability to deport terrorists, rapists and serious criminals who actually are protected by activists in Peckham or, or, or barristers who seem to think that, that their human rights trump any human rights of any of their victims in the UK. Yeah, in Peckham, if you're not familiar, you're talking about the other weekend whenever it was, someone was supposed to be um, getting picked up by the immigration team and what happened then was a mob was orchestrated on Twitter so around the van and prevent this person from getting taken... That's right, uh, back to Nigeria... Yeah, which I think and is so appalling. It, it is appalling. And, and now what I'm saying is, uh, I, I have, we live in, in, in a truly democratic and fantastic country. We're not a banana republic. But I think these cases make people think that the judiciary isn't on the side of the victims of crime. It's on the side of the criminals themselves. And that, I think, is a stain on British democracy. And, and I, I would like to see a full referendum on this. And let's actually have our own law. I think this is tinkering, and I still think that judges will block decisions. And I think that will just, like we said before about Brexit, about Trump, whatever, it will put the people against the judiciary, 
in open daylight, and I think that's bad for Britain. Kevin? Um, well, there's, there's two things. On the story itself, I think uh, uh, it's going to be quite popular, uh, this bill, actually. Uh, and I think from a political analysis point of view, the government does have a mandate to do it. A lot of folks don't like it, but it's, it's both in line with Brexit and it's also in line with uh, the government's desire to make the, the criminal justice system more victim-friendly. Um, where I probably don't agree so much is the idea that the judiciary are essentially a, a bit of a bunch of lefties, which I think might be the point that was being made. I think the evidence seems to indicate they are, but that's yeah. just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one for further debate down the pub. But um, I think successive governments are under pressure. There's a general perception that the legal system doesn't do enough for the victims of crime. Successful governments, such as the one under Tony Blair, um, and this government, which I think could be deemed yet to be successful, um, is picking up on something I think that's popular. And um, yeah. I think people should oppose it at their peril because I think a lot of folks will be in favour of this. So you're in favour of this British Bill of Rights? I'm in favour of anything, uh, broadly, yes, that puts uh, victims before criminals. I've got to say you surprised me. Yeah. Not that I like to uh, preempt and stereotype. You mustn't stereotype all lefties as being soft on crime. I think it's a real left-wing thing it's to be... It's not that it's necessarily soft on crime, but there's a lot of people uh, that are very angry about this. And what they're saying is that, you know, this will be an awful attack on human rights this is a this will be a very bad thing for this country and are protesting it quite passionately they very strongly disagree with it yeah. and i have to say i thought that you might have been one of them no so i mean the, 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 there is a there, there's a lot of folks michelle who are uh who who don't like this who think it's quite uh dictatorial and part of the government but i have an instinct that um, you know, I was in Wakefield um, last week and campaigned a lot around the country for the Labour Party. I have an instinct that people want to consistently feel, whatever their background, socio-economic race background, that the country is more on the side of victims of crime than criminals. So that's why this sort of stuff's popular. Yeah, I'm a bit harsh though, Claire, because um, I know you want to come in and make a different point, but I also feel that you either respect human rights as a principle or you don't. So if you're one of these people that are in prison for, I don't know, doing a terror attack on uh, Manchester Arena and killing kids, if you're a mass murderer, well, you've clearly demonstrated to me that you don't respect the principle of human rights. Of course you don't. You won't be blowing up people. You won't be murdering people. So therefore, to me, you've almost excluded yourself then from the ability to start saying, oh, I want my right to this and I want my right to that. And creating problems in the prison system if your needs are not met on the basis of human rights. I almost feel like you exclude yourself on that, but maybe I'm just being a little bit harsh. Oh, well, I definitely disagree with you on that. I mean, I, look, the greatest thing that you can do as Why punishment... Why disagree with that? Because if you commit a crime, you lose your freedom. You get locked up, right? And that is like, that's the big right to lose, right? I, I, all I'm saying is... I don't think you should then be in prison then demanding your human rights. But if you think about saying they've got, you've got no... Well, somebody, that's not really what goes on. I, I work in a lot of prisons, let me tell you. During the lockdown, they were locked up for 23 and a half hours every day. And a lot of the time that happens. But you yeah, ask but me a question... normal No, no, but they, they didn't have any... Let no. me give you a very quick example, because I know you want to make a separate point, and I'm just butting no. in. There was one case, mm. is in the paper, so it must be true, everybody. Uh, a convicted killer... Was a what? Yeah, but I couldn't care if it's one case. One case too many for my liking. Convicted killer was awarded fifteen thousand pounds from the government 
after claiming a breach of his Article 8 rights. This was all about who he was segregated with when he was in prison. I think yeah. pack it in. No, I, I, and I, I've just said about judicial activism. I, I'm concerned that there are almost like ambulance chases, for want of a better word. There are lawyers who will represent people in that way. I just wanted to... Uh, just Super brief, I've just been told I've got to go to a break. Okay. Nothing to do with your... Though, though, uh, those people in prison, if you say they have no rights once you've deprived their liberty, does not mean, for example, that you can get their heads kicked in every day by a prison warder. That's all I'm saying. It's like, yeah. They do have some rights... And those rights are greatly curtailed by the fact that they are rightly being punished. So I'm not a bleeding heart liberal on this, but I'm not somebody who says they are people who are scum who should be... Right, Claire, so if, there's a balance in between. Tougher, then people might think twice about doing some of the... That is, it's tough to lock somebody up and basically say you've got no liberty. It can't be that tough because people get locked up and then they repeatedly do repeat offence and go back in and go back in and around and around we uh, go. Anyway, uh, you tell sometimes. me. Are you, do you agree with me or do you agree with Claire? Claire's not having any of it. She's saying nope. I'm talking nonsense. I'm <laughs> uh, going to take a quick break. Where do you stand on it all? We'll have some of your thoughts in just a couple of minutes. Hello there, welcome back to Jubes and Co. with me, Michelle Jubery. Quick reminder to who's keeping me company tonight. Baroness Claire Fox, Director of the Academy of Ideas. Also Martin Daubney, who's the Deputy Leader of the Reclaim Party. And the CEO of PLMR, Kevin Craig. Welcome to you three. Uh, keeping us company at 7 o'clock tonight will be Nigel Farage. Nigel, good evening to you. What have you got for us? Thank you. Well, it's six years on from Independence Day. There was great hope and optimism. Today we ask, are people satisfied with Brexit? And that applies both to Leavers and Remainers. We'll look at the politics and the economics of it. We'll find out what on earth is going on with the Prime Minister's father and China. He appears to be lobbying for them almost on a daily basis. And joining me on Talking Pines, a veteran of politics going back 40 years, it'll be Lord Peter Lilly. Sounds good. Nigel, we'll see you at seven. Lots of you guys getting in touch tonight. You're loving the show. The sentiment that keeps uh, coming through on the email is how much you're appreciating respectful disagreement. And I think that is so key because in society, it should be all right to have different opinions. We don't need to have all of this, you think this, so therefore you are a whatever the insult is. You know, we can all agree to disagree. And I have to say, Claire and I even found a point of agreement in the uh, debate. I'm saying basically criminals deserve everything they get. She thinks I'm a bit harsh. But we did both agree, didn't we, that when you leave prisons, often these guys are just chucked out and left to fend for themselves. So actually we did a bit of a better job um, when they came out of prison of of supporting them, I guess, helping them, guiding them, whatever you want to call it. Maybe we might have less uh, re-offending. We got there in the end, Claire, on that one. We agreed. Um, Many of you... um, saying on the human rights thing that thick and fast is coming through, that you are in favour uh, of the British Bill of Rights. Uh, someone else says, if you, don't, if you choose not to follow the laws of the land, then you deserve no rights at all. Crikey, not messing around there. Um, the British have no rights. We just get the bills. That's what June says. Many people. Look, you made all the panel laugh. Too. There you go. You brought us all together in the end. Right. It's one in six teenagers have sent nude pictures of themselves. This is from uh, new re- new research. So-called sexting uh, could lead to criminal charges, though, and lifelong mental health problems. Why? Well, it's not actually legal, Kevin, to do this as a young person sending creating. 
uh, sexual images of yourself, sending them, circulating it, it is a criminal act. Okay, Michelle, it it is in theory, but this is one of those cases where the law might say one thing, but in reality, what we're going to do, go around locking up hundreds of thousands of young people who, in my personal opinion, make the mistake of doing this. I think this is... Uh, this is about parents being uh, interfering where they can and getting involved in their kids' social media device use. I've got two daughters, 16, 14. I hate this trend. Um, all you can do is talk to your children, schools, educate them. And of course, you're going to say, what about those families where parents are not engaged? And we know there's loads of kids in the country with parents for reasons, good or bad, are not engaged. I agree it's a challenge, but the law is not going to sort this out. The law is not going to sort this out. And it- I don't envy you. Having, I mean, I, I wouldn't like to be a teenage girl in this day and age. It's mm. hard enough being a teenage girl in our day and age, but yeah. in this one. Well, girls, uh, my observation is that girls are more sensible than boys so far in life. And they, uh, they get it, uh, I think. Um, it, I think that a lot of this is, I think, to do with young male behaviour and that being influenced. Right, well, I'll swivel around swiftly then to my right. Young male behaviour, Martin, is it? Yeah, well, in in 2013, in a previous life, I made a documentary for Channel 4, as you know, called Porn on the Brain. And after that, I've spoken with about 50,000 teenagers across British schools, from from places like Eton right down to kind of council estate schools behind barbed wire. And the situation's the same. Um, pornography is a part of their lives now, like it or lump it, that genie is out of the bottle. And the sharing of explicit pictures is now a currency of, the, of young people who don't understand it's an offence. Um, they don't have any consequence of the, 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 the fallout of that. And an important part to remember is that teenage brains aren't even fully formed until we're 24. And, and until then, we, they like danger, they like risk, and they like to be popular. And Nobody really talks to them about this. They don't understand that in 10 years' time, this might come up on their CV yes. to, 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 yeah. to hamper their life chances because there's no, there's no real forward planning. But I totally agree with you, Kev. The idea that we criminalise teenagers for a rash moment, um, I think it's completely the wrong way to go. And instead, we should, we should be in schools talking to them, saying, just hold your horses. Is this but the then, right thing to do? Be that part of their brain that isn't there for them. But then I would... Um... I like you, but aren't you being a bit of a hypocrite? Because one of the challenges that I think we've got is that, well, is that, yeah. I like you, but. Yeah, I like sorry. you, but. Stand yeah, back. No, I don't Stand mean, back. I don't mean to be unkind, but I think one of the challenges here is we've got a massively over-sexualised society. Yeah. You know, like, you can get, like, things like padded bras for children and all of this kind of weird stuff that I think is all wrong. Anyway, but you used to edit a magazine that was all about... yeah. Girls' boobs, basically. Precisely, yeah. So I did a load of for 10 years, and, and, you know, that's part of the reason I looked at this phenomenon as it moved on, because it, the internet reset everything. Back, it was hard to get hold of, of pornographic material back in the day. You had to, like, lie about your age or steal it or find it in a hedge. Do you remember that? But it was now it's, it's absolutely... No, who remembers finding... <laughs> Men of a certain age, Kev, might. But, but now it's absolutely ubiquitous. You can't control that. And so it's about critical consumption. You can't stop the access. Many politicians, David Cameron, Daily Mail, got in cahoots, tried to switch off the internet. There's been the Department of Media and Culture have had endless looks at switching off the internet or making it age-restricted. You can't. You simply can't do that. And so all you can do to your kids is say, just think twice before you do it, because it can have implications for your, for your future life. That's it. Claire Fox. So, I, I mean, one bit that we 
ought to comment on is it seems horrible to me that teenage flirting has resorted, it's become so crass in a way. Yes. I mean, it's so sort of like, it? It, I mean, you know, like send a picture of your body part. Where are the sonnets? You know, it's gone, like, eh? exactly, uh, we don't have to go that mad. But I mean, I, all I'm saying is there is something that's changed that's not just to do with us being. Well, me being old and prudish. Yeah, yeah. I do think that something's gone terribly wrong when that's the way that you kind of try and impress each other. And I, I mean, this isn't even like I'm going to dress nice, I'm going to look nice. This is like actually a disembodied body part, yeah. it seems to me. And what you then get is, I think we have to remember that, by the way, there's a sort of policy angle to this, which is we have got used to calling people, you know, cervix havers yeah. and people with wombs and things like that. So there's a problem for women, which is, is that in some ways we're being turn into body parts more broadly. So that's one thing. But I think I, I started looking at this in relation to America, God, you know, quite a while ago when I discovered that the sex offenders register in America is actually full of teenage teenagers who were sexting, yeah. right? Sex offenders registers forever, mm. seen as people who would therefore never be able to work with children even though they might have done something when they were 15, send But, but I think things. Kevin's got a good point, though. It's a bit like with marijuana. The law says yeah. that you can be prosecuted, but in actual fact, yeah, but I'm saying it's, not in, it's, it's not kind of put into No, but I'm saying in America it, it is. Lives. I'm saying it, yeah. in America it is. Mm. I think that we should learn from that and not do it. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we should all be complacent and think no. it doesn't matter. However, when things become social norms, this is the other bit when you're saying about interfering with your kids. I mean, there are obviously lots of things that I look about the modern world and go, oh, my God. We, we could also maybe say that we don't want to have a moral panic about it as well yeah. because well, there are such terrible uh, things facing I know. young people in terms of hardcore porn they can have access to, but, people grooming them. I just worry that we might oh, panic no. as well. This is, no. where, this is where we diverge, Claire, right? No, because, well, I'm not sure. That's why I'm well, saying. Well, what I think is that, you know, it's not a moral panic to say, listen, look, mobile phones, devices in the modern era, that is the universe. about 20 seconds. Universe. So, you know, we, it, we have to control and monitor and manage kids' use of it. We don't prosecute burglars in this country. We're not going to get this through well, the Well, the sentiment yeah. that's coming through from you guys at home, you're blaming it all on the parents. You're saying it's the parents' fault that the kids are doing this. I would say if you've got a teenage kid, you've got to ask yourself, you've got to tell them, look, before you press send on this picture, you've yes. got to imagine yeah. your That's true. We, all could, we can all agree on that. Your yeah. friends seeing it, your whoever's seeing it, if you yeah. wouldn't want your teacher and your uncle and your auntie and your granddad to see this picture, well, think on before you press send because this this day and age, you don't just hit send to the recipient. It goes everywhere. And who yeah. would want that? Ugh, no thanks. Uh, anyway, that's all we've got time for. Thank you very much to the panel. Lots of you emailing in saying that you've enjoyed the panel tonight. They can come again. <laughs> uh, you guys have yourself a wonderful evening. Thanks for your company and I'll see you tomorrow. Hello there, I'm Greg Dewhurst and welcome to your latest forecast. We're looking at a humid night across the UK, but it will turn fresher over the next 24 hours or so as breezy and unsettled weather moves in. And that's in association with an area of low pressure which is going to move in and sit with us for the weekend, pushing away that warm weather we've had over the last few days. Green colours here indicating a fresher, breezy feel to things to come. 
Over Thursday evening, we'll see thundery showers disappear. Overnight, we'll see clear skies developing. So quite a dry night for many of us, but a warm and humid one to come. Temperatures remaining in double figures: 14, 15, 16 Celsius in places. So humid, uncomfortable night for many of us. But it means a dry start for a lot of us as we go into Friday morning. The best of the sunshine across northern England, eastern England by the afternoon, and the heat and humidity holds on here. So we could see a few showers by the afternoon. A few rumbles of thunder possible as well. Elsewhere, fairly cloudy skies. There will be quite a lot of dry weather around, but a weather front will bring rain to Northern Ireland, western parts of Wales, and southwest England through the day. And here, fresher, 19, 20 Celsius, but the humidity holds on across East England, 24 or 25. The thunderstorms move away as we move through Friday evening. This band of rain pushes north and east across the country, heralding fresher air behind it. A mixture of showers and clear skies moving in. During the early hours, and the wind starting to pick up from the west too. Temperatures much more comfortable for sleeping Friday night into Saturday morning. 14, 13 Celsius as a low in places. So a bit more of an unsettled start to the weekend. We'll see a mixture of sunny spells and scattered showers across much of the UK. Bands of rain across Northern Ireland too, turning windy through the Irish Sea. Gales developing around the coast of Northern Ireland, and this remains so over the next few days. Further sunshine and showers. Temperatures around average for the time of year. Thanks for listening to Jubes and Cur the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time.